Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill. And this is a podcast about all of the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 155. Thanks for hanging on. I know we took a little minute. We took a little extra rerun break. extra break. break. <laughs> it was just, a, I just, I just had too much fun. I got sick from too much fun. I think that's what happened. It happens all the time. <laughs> it happens. People get sick from too much fun. Well, your vacations looked amazing. Yeah. So uh, if you, if you don't follow me on the socials, um, I went to Belize for eight days and oh, then man. I came back I went with my family uh just Ben and Max and then I came back and I was home for a day and then I went to uh New York with my college girlfriends and we went to a lake house uh, my friend Kimmy's lake house and it was also amazing so I'm just like basically full-time are you super chill right now are I'm you so like, chill totally vacation <laughs> our friend uh our friend damon sumner sent me a message and was like you're really living i was like holy shit if you still if you see me like walking around looking stressed like please punch me in the face because i yeah. don't deserve to look stressed at all <laughs> I can't wait to punch you in the face. Because <laughs> you know that I am. You know I'm stressed. Like, you know, of course. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> of course. Please punch me in the face. Um, no, but we went. So we went to Belize and it was, we went, we went to this tiny little island um, called St. George's Key. We went, we were on this tiny little, at this eco resort. Um, and the resort was called Therapy, like oh, Therapy wow. Resort. So basically it's like, being at the ocean is therapy. Um, we had to take a boat to get anywhere, and it was amazing. There was just like three little cabins. Um, it was us. There was like one other family, which was a little weird because we didn't know them. <laughs> like, but we didn't really even see them very much. But we just like hung out at this at the ocean. We went swimming. We held, went in. You know, we were in hammocks. We had people bringing us food. It was just a dream. It was a dream. It looked like a dream. It really it did. Like every picture was just so gorgeous. And I like it, it was like soothing and relaxing to just look at the picture. So I can't imagine what it was like actually being there. Yeah, it was uh it was an amazing experience. I'm Ben and I were both joking today because we're like, it's so it's crazy that we pulled it off because we are definitely like we have lots of big ideas. We are not as good on the follow through of those big ideas. So mm-hmm. I feel like we would say like we've been talking about like, oh, we want to go abroad. I mean, of course, COVID, but like also just most times we will talk about go- doing some big vacation and then we'll uh, end up, you know, like on a road trip or something where we're like, mm-hmm. oh, we didn't book anything. I don't know. Let's just I guess we'll just go get a cabin for a week, um, which is also lovely and like saving the money to do it and actually committing to spend some money because we're both very cheap. But like, um, it was just really great. I I highly recommend it. If anybody wants to know the place that we went, I'm happy to share it with you because it was like a little gem. Like it really was such a find. It was not um, incredibly expensive. It was very affordable and just made us feel so pampered and calm. (laughs) It was great. That is awesome. And then I got to go party like it was literally 1999 with my girlfriends. And that was also great after being on vacation with a six-year-old for eight days. So lovely. Nice. So what have you been doing? Oh, you want to know what I've been doing? (laughs) What have I been doing? Yeah, what have you been doing? Oh, just uh... (laughs) working, living through uh, COVID hell again. I didn't. Okay. Not laughing at that. Just that. Yeah, that sucks. I know. No. Yeah. I love that. You've been over there living your best life. I've been over here. (laughs) In hell, Sally. (laughs) You're just like on a river in like a boat with a leak. (laughs) Yeah. The best you can. And I'm trying to keep up. Cruising by on a yacht, like, hey, <laughs> no, it's all, it's fine. No, it's like, <laughs> I was sick. I, I'm pretty sure I had COVID a few weeks ago when I was very, yeah. very sick, and we didn't know what it was, but I wasn't testing positive. I think that's the only reason I got out of this COVID free, but it was just one of those, like, um, 
you know, my kid's dad, I had the kids. And then the day that my, they went to their dad's house, then he called me and was like, I have COVID. And I was like, fuck. And so yeah. then, um, and then I went and got the kids, brought them back to my house so that he could, his COVID could pass I guess. <laughs> I don't know. but then like one by one it was like like I just heard like two days go by and and then of course like I had to like rearrange stuff and right cancel plans and all this and so and then all of a sudden I hear like my daughter like achoo and I was like come here oh. <laughs> and then I tested her and then she was positive and so then she went back to her dad's and then and then the next day, my son like coughed, and I was like, "Come here!" And then I tested him, and he had COVID. And then I just sent him to set. So it was just like it was just like a musical chairs of COVID. Um, yeah. And then I um, my work didn't want me to come to the office because they all had big vacations planned and stuff. So they like they I was like quarantined um, at home, but I yeah. never got it. So that's good. Yeah, so I mean, you had bad. to have had it. A few weeks yeah. ago. And then I also, while you were gone, um, saved three baby possums, which was okay. very out of character for me because I hate possums. Yes, please. Yes, please with this story. Yes, you want to know it. <laughs> and everybody's like, what the fuck? How? I will tell what you. Why? <laughs> why would you do that? So, you know, I like, you know, go on a morning walk every morning with my dog. And um, I had just walked out i just sometimes left. i like to like during the school year i'll drive past jen and i like to send her creepy text messages yeah <laughs> or like, your butt butt good in those jeans yeah <laughs> you're just like looking around like what fuck you creep creep <laughs> like that pink sweater is really hot on you <laughs> you're like what stop it <laughs> i it's actually really like it have. makes me <laughs> i always um, look for you <laughs> thanks um, so, so I just left in the night, like as soon as like two houses down, I see this woman and she looks like panicked. And then I look down and I see like what I thought was just a dead possum. And I was like, oh, I got hit by a card. That sucks. And, yeah. I kept and then she was like, no, but there's like babies in it. And I was like, what? <gasps> and she, but she was like panicked. And then I was like, oh shoot. And so, and then I like looked at this woman's face and there was something about, like, I am terrified of possums. I hate possums, but this woman, I just was like, I felt like I needed to help her. Yeah, you're like, I can't keep walking. Uh, just, yeah. yeah. So I stopped. And then like my friend Colleen, who's a very good friend of mine, is, is like, I just happens to be not only like works for a wildlife, like uh, rehabilitation center, but yeah. she's also a, an expert on possums. Like oh, possums really? is her thing. <laughs> yes. How so random. I, I know. So I texted Colleen and I was like, hey, I know it's early, but um, there's this like dead mom possum with a bunch of babies like coming out of the stomach. And I, like, I was like, is there somewhere I can call? <laughs> you know, like who's going to come take care of this? And then she just goes, uh, you got to get those babies out. Like she called me and she was like, you just, you got to get them out. And I was like, what? <laughs> Do what? Yeah. And she was like, yeah, you just like, you just got to go back there and get those babies out like right away. Got to get them out of the stomach. And I was like, how? Uh? And so <laughs> I don't know what came over. I truly like stepped out of my body. My soul, like I floated over myself. I just went into, it's like, you know, the mom seeing a, a car, like, a, you know, a kid removing a car, a car yeah. and picking it up. It was like that. I like went home and I like got um, a bunch of like Publix plastic bags. Got a shovel. Oh <laughs> like, but the the the, the other woman, um, she went and got a um, a box and a and a towel. And so I like wrapped my hands in <gasps> these plastic bags and I put my hands in a dead possum. Oh, and one my, by this one, this is crazier pulled, than I could have ever imagined, Jen. It was insane. They didn't want to let go. I was like pulling these possums that were like hissing at me <laughs> and like trying to bite me and claw at me with these plastic bags around my hand. <laughs> like seven o'clock in the morning, pulling these possums out of this dead possum and putting it in the box. I don't know like how I did it, but I did. But then like I didn't know that the possums were like that 
that like fast and that strong. So then they kept running out of the box. So then I'm like chasing these possums and putting them back in the box as they're trying to like bite me and claw at me. And I, I closed the box and then I had to get rid of the, bo- the, like the dead mom's body. Oh my God. So then I had to get a shovel and a bag and get them scoop up the body. And then I didn't know where to put the dead bat possum bag so uh-huh. i put it in my own trash can uh-huh. at home and i was just like what am i doing what and so it was just like the craziest <laughs> fucking morning and then like i had to go and like email a bunch of these like places and hope that someone could come get them but luckily right away we found the home firm and the other woman drove the box of baby possums to aware which is the center oh that yeah took them um, and thank God, because there's no way I could drive with a box of possum. <laughs> that you harvested uh, from a dead possum mom's body. Yes. Holy shit, Jen. How did you let me talk about my vacation? Like, yeah, it was great. <laughs> when you had this story that you were sitting on, what the fuck, man? Why does she like this happen to me? Remember, like, the other time I went the walking sheep? and just, all the goats? Oh, the goats. Yes. And then this was like, yes, not yesterday, like two days ago, I was taking my daughter, uh, I was picking up my daughter and her friend, Audrey from horse camp. And then like, I opened, I like got out of the car, went and got the girls, came back, I opened the car and there is a black cat in my car. What? Why? How? (laughs) Apparently it lives on that farm. Yeah. Its name is Jameson. The girls thought it was the funniest thing. They're like giggling and laughing. I'm screeching like, what the fuck? There's a cat in my (laughs) (laughs) And I couldn't get out. And it was like hissing at me and like trying to claw at me while I was trying to get this cat out of my car. I guess like it just like ran in when I opened the door and I didn't even see it. And then. I shut the door and this cat just thought it was going to come home with us. Wait, can I ask you a question? I have a follow-up. How did the woman know there were babies? Because it was like, okay, here's another thing too. I later learned that I did not birth these babies. Because then Colleen called me later and she was like, well, you know, the thing is I I don't know the age of the the babies. And I was like, brand new. (laughs) Today. What do you mean age? Like, you're like time 20 minutes ago. <laughs> she was like, no, 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 no. Those are not babies. Those like, they live, it's a marsupial. They live in the mother's pouch. And oh. so, uh, and I was like, oh, that makes like so much more sense. And she's like, if they were brand new babies, they would be like pink and hairless. She was like, no, those are, you know, that's, it was in the mom's pouch. So I guess like when the mom got hit by the car, the babies were like trying to get out of the pouch. So she gotcha. saw them like rolling around in there and like coming out. Okay. So gross. I have pictures. Yes, please. Pretty gross. <laughs> oh, wait. No, I don't know if I want to see a dead possum. Uh, we had a dead possum in our yard when we first moved here. And Ben saw it. And, I, and he was like, and I, so I was like going on to next door. I was like, does anybody know what we do about like a dead possum in our yard? <laughs> like, I don't, is there someone to call? And they were just like, everyone was like, well, either put it in the trash or bury it. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, okay. And then someone else was like, also make sure it's actually dead. And I was like, what are you talking about? And they were like, yeah, possums play possum they paid dead they were like and this woman then was like oh yeah one time my dog brought in what we thought was a dead (gasps) possum and it was like totally stiff and dead looking for like an hour and then all of a sudden it was no longer a dead possum it just like reanimated oh my god inside their house nightmare i know and i asked ben he was like oh yeah no no this was a very dead possum (laughs) Yeah, this is definitely a dead person. Yeah. But yeah. holy moly, that would have <sighs> like if you had been had your hand in getting these babies out. And then the mom like came and the back mom to was life like and attacked what? me. <gasps> that is a horror show. Holy oh, shit. It Jen. Is. I mean the whole thing was a horror show, but I guess it was for the greater good of these and like Colleen can see the updates on the possum. She's like, your possums are doing great. 
And I'm like, cool, like, stop calling them mine. I don't, they're not mine. <laughs> like, we've named them She's all like, 10. Your babies are great. I'm like, not my babies. But I'm glad that they're alive. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, really, they're, they're other women's. I just. <laughs> She's like, we're going to uh, bring them home to you anytime. Hey, forget the whole ordeal. <laughs> Oh shit! That's such a great story, Jen. You are a Larry David. (laughs) You are Larry David. I'm going to start calling you Larry. (laughs) I truly am. The adventures never end. (laughs) Okay, let's get into some quickies. Okay, I got my quickie from the AP News by No One, Um, and this is a love story in a sense. I think it is – I'm going to think of it as a love story of a man's love for pizza because I can understand that. Jen, you know how Wait. I – Huh. Have we done this? No, this is a different one. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we have done a love story about a man who genuinely married, married pizza. pizza. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. This is more um, vaguely pizza. Got it. Um, So, okay. So, you know how I have like a secret love of Little Caesars pizza. Yes. Um, I have in the past pizza. I have in the past called it car pizza um, since recent incidents where there were some gross things happening in the car. I'm no longer eating car pizza, but I will still always have a soft spot in my heart for Little Caesars. Mm -hmm. So, this guy who is um, right here in Lithonia, Georgia, which is just up the road from us. on July 12th, was trying to get in to a Little Caesars pizza by way of a vent on top of a strip mall. So basically, he was trying to rob the Little Caesars. I like to think he was trying to get in there for the pizza, but my guess is he was trying to get in for money. So it was like very early in the morning. Why can't it be both? Why can't it be both? Um, so Sergeant Staff Sergeant Brittany Davis, who is a recruiter for the U.S. Army, was um, on her way to work early in the morning. She and her coworker were going to open the recruiting office for the day, which is in the same shopping center as the Little Caesars. And she heard screams. And she was like, "What? where is that coming from? She thought maybe it was somebody from on top of the roof, but they couldn't see anyone. So next... Um, Somebody at the Little Caesars was going to open Little Caesars, and they started hearing the same screams coming from the oven vent. So Staff Sergeant Davis went inside the restaurant, and so all of a sudden she's like – she could hear a man's voice saying he couldn't breathe. He was having a panic attack. And so she was like, I was just concerned for him. She called 911. She called police and the firefighters, and it turned out that the man had gotten stuck in the pizza oven. Oh my god. Because he thought he was going through like a vent a that vent? he could yeah, that he could <gasps> then get in, but he was stuck inside the pizza oven. The fire captain was like, um, I'm not sure what time the reach restaurant closes tonight, but the oven still gives off heat after close after they close. For him to get down into the pipe, he had to do it in a certain window of time when the oven was cool and obviously nobody was there. But before they had gotten back to turn it on. So, and they were just like, I'm just glad they hadn't turned the oven on when they first walked in because otherwise he would have been toast. Oh my God. A direct quote. <gasps> he would have been toast. So they had to use all sorts of equipment to get him out. <laughs> the police. The police cha- captain said, I'm glad our guys, in particular our heavy rescue unit, carry a lot of different tools, and we were able to use them to get them out of there safely. So they got the man out. He was dehydrated and had some friction burns, but otherwise was fine. But paramedics took him to the hospital, and then he was immediately put in handcuffs. Um, he didn't give a statement. So they <laughs> they said he didn't give a statement on what he was actually doing, but it's pretty apparent, obviously, he was trying to get some pizza. Um, he said, but we'll let the police sort those things out. Well, I'll have to give you an update on what happened to pizza guy, but how crazy would that be to be trapped in a pizza oven? Oh my God. Just I mean, waiting. Smells good, right? At least it smells good. And I'm guessing he must have been like, do you think he was upside down or right side up? And also you're just waiting for someone to come on and turn that fucker on. Like, Oh my God. That is like my worst nightmare. Worst. I know. Well, I so can say that about everything. Right? <laughs> so Jen, don't – I guess the, the lesson here is don't try to break into a pizza restaurant 
from a roof. I won't. I'll just walk in the front door like a normal right? person and pay for pizza. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's my quickie. Love it. So my quickie this week is also about a man that loves something very much. This is uh, from an article for Vice.com written by Aman Khan. And it is about a man that married his rice cooker. Have okay. you heard about this? No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no. But I love it. So his name um, – so this past September, his name's Coral Anam. He's a 29-year-old construction worker who lives in central Java in Indonesia. He had married his rice cooker. And the reason that he decided to marry his rice cooker is he said that he had had um, – it all started with a very casual conversation that he was having with his friends about uh-huh. what they were discussing, what they thought um, a fair bride would be, like what – what that's that's the word that they use but like i guess like what they wanted in a bride and then they all said that they wanted somebody who was strong this is funny because these are like conflicting things i think strong obedient and quiet is what they said Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) and he said that he was holding his rice cooker during this conversation and then he said (laughs) it just seemed like the right choice for the wife I wanted is what he said apparently the very next day he decided to put a ring on it and they had a fake (laughs) marriage Mm -hmm. Um, only close friends attended as it was in a small room Um, there was a photographer who was paid to shoot the wedding um, and he used his passport as a proof of identity and dressed up his wife the um rice cooker in a veil for the wedding but apparently the marriage was very short-lived because just four days later they had uh he had decided to divorce his rice cooker um jen it's almost as if he did it just for publicity you think i don't want to i don't want to said that (laughs) well it's Okay, so that's it's funny that you said that is because actually, so there's uh, obviously this whole post went viral and people made stupid comments like maybe he couldn't handle the pressure of the marriage. You know what I mean? Uh huh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I get it. Uh, but he did confess that he definitely did it for entertainment. Um, yeah. But he said that he did it in all earnestness. Um, if you can believe the pictures and. N- he said, if you can believe the pictures, no one in the ceremony laughed either. When content comes from the hinterlands of any country, the result is raw, unfiltered, and bizarre in all the best possible ways. So apparently he's been trying to um, – he's been doing this for months and months, like trying to break the internet, as he says, in silly stunts that he put, posts on Facebook. Like there was one uh, – another viral post that he had where he um, – put nails coming out of like his motorcycle seat, like the seat that somebody rides on. Uh-huh. And he said that it was to placate his jealous girlfriend who apparently was not happy with him giving rides to women. So uh-huh. he said that he showed his love for his girlfriend by putting these nails in the mo- motorcycle seat. And then that post went viral. But really the reason that he does all of this is because he's really trying to show that somebody – Somebody like him who works, he's a construction worker and he works in quarries and um, chisels boulders, you know, for nine hours a day in Indonesia. He wants to show that like you can, um, that someone from his small town can make viral content. He says that what he does is um, after like working nine hours a day of cutting and loading bricks, that's during that time is when he like thinks about bizarre content that he wants to make. Yeah. And then when he gets off work, he like makes all of these weird viral posts. And to him, he just like finds enjoyment out of seeing like how viral they can go. I mean, I, you know, no harm, right? Yeah. It's like people are making content for lots of reasons. And if it's, if it's making him happy and I mean, it makes me feel less like, oh, he's like an annoying Yeah. He's, you know, him and he's working. He's just trying to do something fun to like, make his life fun. Okay, great. Right, <laughs> like, right. Great. And not only is it fun for him, but it's fun for like everybody in his village too. He said like, uh, he told Vice, the process is enriching in itself. Once I have zeroed in on the idea, almost half the village collaborates with me to make it happen. Even oh, I love for that. The, yeah. He said, even for the rice cooker marriage stunt, one of my oldest friends shared his wedding clothes while another purchased a veil for my bride. So it's like something that they're all doing 
together, you know? Oh, Jen, you made me, you turned and me around. And now it's love again, right? I know. Yes, it is. I actually, I was like, I hate this person. And now I'm like, oh, I love that this is just like a fun thing that the whole village is doing. Holy shit. You know, the internet really is a great equalizer. I mean, they all get a kick out of it. And he said, the hope is that one day people will move beyond getting shocked by the bizarreness of it all, sit up and take notice that a construction worker from Java can produce original, consistent viral content. And he said, uh, perhaps then I will have a mic, a green screen behind me and comments in English? Question, question mark. <laughs> so I don't know. It's a, it's a silly stunt. We've we've done so many weird weddings and we can. Oh, yeah. Tell, for like, all different. They're reasons. mostly silly stunts. But yeah, I really do find enjoyment in what he's doing because it seems like him and his whole town are getting enjoyment of that and getting a kick out of making these posts go viral. So, you yeah. know. All right, great thing, job, man. Do, Do your thing. thing. Who are we? Who are we to judge? We're nobody. <laughs> We're nobody. Nobody. <laughs> nobody. So that's uh, my quickie. It's great. Hey, Jen. Hey, Sal. Are you ready for a wild story? Yes. All right. This is our new new wild story format. So our new wild story format, to be clear, is. Less murdery. Less murdery, more. more. What? Yeah. <laughs> but to be clear, this is still true crime. So true crime. We life. haven't, true Jen and I life. have not actually had a formal talk about what we talked about like three, four weeks ago. No, because this is the first time we're talking to each other. <laughs> this is the first time we're maybe. talking about it. Yeah. We literally have, we've texted, but we have not talked to each other in forever, which is probably why we were super chatty up front. Okay. So I got my information from a news journal article and a Kilgore News Herald article, both by Lucas Stroh, um, from a Marshall News Messenger article by Meredith Schamberger, and then mostly from a really great Texas Monthly investigative um, reporting article by Katie Vine, which if for some reason, Texas Monthly, they, they, are, they have great, great uh, long articles. Yeah, really great yeah. journalists, really great writing. Always good. Always good to go to Texas Monthly to find some stories. So, okay. So on the morning of December 29th, 2016, Dana Blair was at her home in Longview, Texas. She was busy getting ready to leave the following morning. Um, Dana was the director of the Kilgore College Rangerettes, and her daughter, Alexa, was a freshman member. Uh, And this is a a drill team. Apparently, the Rangerettes were going to be performing at the Cotton Bowl, and that's that's a football thing, Jen, (laughs) Um, on January 2nd in Arlington, Texas. So this is like a big deal. The Rangerettes are the, the U.S.'s most prestigious drill team. They've performed at the Cotton Bowl every year since 1949. So... This whole event was a huge deal for both for Dana as the director and for her daughter, Alexa, who was performing for the first time. So Dana said, I was packing, I was ironing, just kind of like multitasking to get out of town. And meanwhile, Alexa was upstairs. Alexa's 19 at the time. She was upstairs in her bed. I was literally thinking like, Alexa, the machine, because that's... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, I'm going to turn on so many people's Alexas. (laughs) I know. Alexa, listen like, okay, to Dumb so Love. Alexa, <laughs> yeah. Alexa, play Dumb Love. Um, okay. So meanwhile, so Alexa was upstairs watching Netflix in her bedroom. And then around six, the doorbell rang. And Dana thought it was her husband, Chris, because he'd just run out to do some errands. He didn't take a house key with him. And so she was like, oh, he's just coming back. He forgot something. Um, but then she opens the door and she sees this woman that she doesn't know. The woman had short hair. She had gloves on. She was holding a large snowman, like Christmas cards right after Christmas. It was kind of like obscuring the bottom half of her face. But the woman asked very nicely. She said, hi, can I talk to Alexa? And Dana was confused because she didn't know the woman. And normally she would not open the door to a stranger. But she she said like in that moment, she just like didn't want to seem rude. So she allowed the woman to come into the house and called for Alexa to come down. So Alexa walks to the front door and she also looks confused. And Dana could tell right away. She was like, I don't think she knows who this woman is either. And that is when this strange woman pulls out a gun (gasps) 
and tells them to give her both of their cell phones. The woman then pulled duct tape from her pocket and made Alexa bind her mom's wrists behind oh her my back. God. Yes. And then the woman taped Alexa's wrists up. Alexa said she was in shock. She said, you feel like any wrong move you're going to make might end up with something worse than what was already happened. I was very still, almost like living a dream. And then, so Alexa went completely still. And then Dana, meanwhile, was like panicking. She said, I was having an out-of-body experience. I couldn't get a grasp on reality. Alexa was just looking at me. She didn't say a word, but I know her. And she's looking at me like, get it together because she knows I'm a freak out person. I guess she thought she was going to have to be the calm one. So the woman starts scrolling through Alexa's cell phone. She seems to be looking for something in the phone. And then she looks up at Dana and Alexa and she's like, you don't know who I am, do you? And they both were like, no, sorry, we don't know you. uh, Sorry if we're so sorry if we did something, you know, they're like, who is this person who obviously knows us? And then the woman says like kind of ominously, she goes, you'll know what this is about very soon. Oh my God. So then the woman suddenly goes, I need you to take me somewhere. We're going in Alexa's car. So Alexa is trying to stall. They both, Dana and Alexa, say that they were scared because, you know, they're like, we don't want to get in a car with someone. We don't know what's going to happen. It seems, that seems, you know, don't go to another place, as they say on 30 Rock, as Liz Lemon famously say, said, never go to a second location. Um, So Alexa didn't have shoes on. She asked to go get them from her bedroom. And the woman had her gun trained on Alexa and told Dana to kneel by the door. And Alexa's walking very slowly. She's trying to stall, like wondering if, okay, maybe can I escape through my bedroom window? But then the woman walks down the hall after her and telling her to hurry up. And so in that moment when she was alone, Dana made a split second decision. She slipped out of the duct tape because Alexa, who's like a super smart girl, had wrapped it loosely on her mom's wrists on purpose because the woman had made Alexa wrist like wrap her mom's wrists. And then Dana ran out the front door screaming home invasion. So they live in like, I'm guessing the houses are kind of a little bit far apart because Dana's neighbors, Lori and Travis Wilcox, were pulling out of their driveway when Dana ran to stop them. So Travis ran back with Dana to her house while Lori, who was in the car, saw two figures walking to the parking lot, which was like on the other side of Dana's house. So the woman who had come into their home realized by this point that Dana had taken off and she pulled Alexa at gunpoint out of the house and towards the nursing home where she forced Alexa into her car and they took off. So luckily, Lori, who was the neighbor who was in the car, had the wherewithal to like follow this car. And she called 911 while she's driving. She read the license plate to the dispatcher. She actually followed the car through the neighborhood on a high-speed chase. They were like going 80 miles an hour through these like neighborhood streets until the car ran through a red light and Lori had to stop to avoid getting hit by oncoming traffic. And then when she was able to drive again, she realized she had lost the car. And so just like that, Alexa and this strange woman who nobody knew were gone. Okay, so to even try to understand how something like this could happen and why it would happen in this quiet neighborhood in Longview, Texas, you have to understand the significance of the rangerettes and drill teams to that part of the country. So did you have drill teams at your high school? I don't... We had... um, At my high school in Georgia, we had... Pretty sure we had a drill team. Um, yeah, I was too high to even note it. No, I'm sorry. I don't. <laughs> um, I, we had a drill team, but in um, on Long Island, we had kick line. Okay, so this is yeah. yes, this is like very much like that. So the Rangerettes is like a pre- precision dance team. It was created by this woman Gussie Nell Davis in 1940, and she said she envisioned a dance line that looked like a hall of mirrors. So all of these young women just moving as one, like virtually indistinguishable. They're so, Mm -hmm. they're basically like the Rangerettes is 70 women who are doing like athletic jump splits, rocket style kick lines, that kind of thing. Um, And so once the Rangerettes started, they were, that was like the beginning of the drill teams that spread across the country. But this team, the Rangerettes, 
there at at a at a two year college called Kilgore College. They have become known as the West Point of dance. So if you're big into drill, that is where you want to go to school because they are like the premier drill team in the country. Mm-hmm. So and obviously, so obviously, there's a huge deal within this town that they have this college there that has this dance team. And so, growing up, like all of the girls take dance. Um, many of them are trying to make their high school dance teams, which are also very competitive. Alexa went to this high school called Longview High, where the drill, t- drill team was huge. And then another area high school, Kilgore High, also has a very competitive team that makes a lot of rangerettes, and they're called the High Steppers. So one girl who performed with the High Stepper team at Kilgore High School was a girl named Kylie Motes. The coach of the team described Kylie as uh, very quiet. She was never a problem at all. She said she was just a sweet girl. She actually described Kylie as like she really didn't, wasn't that into drill team. Mm -hmm. Um, So Kylie's parents, Kyle and Nancy Motes, had lived in Kilgore for about 10 years by the time that Kylie was in high school. And everybody said they kept mostly to themselves. There were only a few neighbors and church friends really knew them well. Kylie was smart. She was well-behaved. Kyle, the dad, ran a successful construction company. And Nancy was a homemaker and mother. And she also um, would – she had hobbies. She volunteered with her church. And she repurposed secondhand furniture. In the spring of 2015, Kylie was at the end of her junior year, and she found out that she wasn't going to make the High Steppers team for her senior year. So the girls have to try out every year, and apparently that year there were like more younger, skilled girls trying out. And actually the coach doesn't have anything to do with that decision because, you know, it's such a big deal that parents would think that there's favoritism. So they actually bring in independent judges to rank the girls who are trying out Mm -hmm. and then they post the scores before the coach even sees them just so the coach doesn't have anything to do with the judging. And so the coach says that she was so sad that Kylie hadn't made the team. And so she texted her. She was like, Kylie, my heart's broken. I would like for you to consider serving as a manager and be a part of the team because, you know, this is a girl who'd been part of the drill squad for three years. Yeah. Um, So the coach Texted that to Kylie. Kylie didn't respond, but her mom, Nancy, did. So her mom, who was this quiet woman that nobody really knew much about, became like a tiger mom. She was furious that Kylie hadn't made the team. And so she and her husband contested the scores, like through the the coach, the principal, all the way up to the school board. She accused the coach of colluding with the judges Um, She accused the judges of discrimination against Kylie because she was tall, because she said that they wanted to, like, have height uniformity throughout the roster. She said their decision had robbed her daughter of her senior year. She wrote, every Friday night football game and performance, every time a senior milestone happens, it will be salt in the wound, a wound that will never be healing for over a year until she leaves Kilgore. Wow. So – the school board voted to reinstate Kylie, but of course, at by that point, like everybody is kind of resents what happened. And Nancy said that when Kylie like rejoined the drill team, that she was basically bullied by these girls she had grown up with and whom she considered her best friends. And so even though they had spent months trying to get Kylie reinstated into the dance team, about two months in, she was transferred to another high school. Yeah. So, I mean, like a hard thing, but also probably a hard thing that her parents made such a huge deal about it. Oh, yeah. No, I'm like, just just poor girl. I know. Well, exactly. Especially since everybody describes her as like quiet, (laughs) assuming, smart, like she – So most people, you know, of course, this is a small town. Drill team is life. Um, So people are, you know, talking. They were and they were shocked because they didn't expect this to like happen from this quiet woman, Nancy Motes. So although once this happened, some rumors started to spread that maybe Nancy wasn't quite so quiet. Um, There were rumors that at some time that Nancy had stalked one of Kylie's ex-boyfriends. So specifically, the rumor was that Nancy had once told people that Kylie, her daughter, was pregnant to prevent her 
Kylie's boyfriend from dumping her. And then after they broke up, Nancy had driven to this ex-boyfriend's house. And as he tried to come out of his driveway, she had parked in his path and blocked him in. So that was like the rumor that was going around um, at the time when all of this happened. But by the next school year, like, you know, the drama had mostly faded. Like the coach of the high school high steppers had retired. Kylie went off to college. Um, but it seems that for Nancy Motes, that incident had caused her to snap. Although it seems from these rumors that maybe she had snapped well before that and that she mm-hmm. held on to her grudges for a very long time. Wow. So on the morning of December 29th, 2016, Nancy Motes went shopping at Cato Fashions uh, for some new jeans. And as she was driving, she spotted this kid named Patrick Shore, and he was driving ahead of her. And she knew Patrick because he and her daughter, Kylie, had dated and recently broken up. And so Nancy, and this is not the boyfriend where she blocked the driveway. Mm -hmm. This is like a different boyfriend another year later. But so, but Nancy was incensed about the breakup on her daughter's behalf. And she suspected that Patrick was now dating this girl named Brianna Duffield. And so when she saw Patrick, even though her daughter Kylie was off at college, when she saw this kid, she decided she was going to follow him and hope to get a picture of Patrick and this girl Brianna so that she could send it to a daughter and be like, look, he was never good boyfriend material anyway. Although, according to Brianna, the two were never dating. So, um, although this part is never explained, Nancy happened to have with her in her car a short brown wig to cover up her long blonde hair, duct tape, and a gun. Jeez. So, in order to hide her disguise from Patrick, who knew her because he was her his ex-girlfriend's mom, she started following Patrick. But then at some point she decided, oh, I'm not going to follow Patrick. I'm not mad at him. I'm mad at this girl, Brianna. So she didn't know where Brianna lives. So she pulls up Brianna's Facebook page and saw that she was friends with Alexa Blair. So remember, Kylie and Alexa went to different high schools. So the girls didn't know each other. But Nancy Moat actually knew of Alexa's mom, Dana, because Well, one, everybody knew of Dana because Dana was the director of the Rangerettes. The Rangerettes are the hugest part of this town. So back when all of this stuff had happened with the drill team the year before and all of those rumors started spreading around town about Nancy harassing her daughter's ex-boyfriend, it got back to Nancy that Dana Blair had been the one spreading that rumor. So even though Nancy had never actually met Dana or Alexa Blair in person, she'd never, they'd never met each other. Her focus now shifted to Alexa. She decided that Alexa could tell her where this girl, Brianna Duffield, lived. And so that is when Nancy Moat drove to the nursing home near Alexa and Dana Blair's house. She's still wearing the short brown wig. She grabbed the roll of duct tape and gun and walked up to their door. Okay, so now we're back. Into the car. <laughs> We're back okay. in the car. Alexa's there alone with who we now know as Nancy Moat. Oh, so geez. the neighbor, Lori, had lost them in the chase. Nancy's driving. They don't, Alexa's like panicking, of course. Nancy's phone rings and it's her husband, Kyle, calling to ask about dinner. And she just calmly tells him like, oh, I'll be home soon. And then she turns to Alexa as if she kind of forgot that she was even in the car and was like, will you call your house and see if the cops are there? And so uh, she hands Alexa the phone. Alexa calls her mom's landline and is like, hey, mom, she wants to know if you called the cops. And Dana is like just relieved to hear her daughter's voice because when she bolted, she didn't know what happened to her. So Dana had called the police and an officer was already at the house uh, as long as along with her husband. But she was like, tell the woman that the cops aren't here. After the call, Nancy becomes super paranoid. She throws Dana's phone out the window. She smashed Alexa's phone, tossed it too so they couldn't be tracked. Then she threw out the glove and the wig out the window. And Alexa starts to pray. And Nancy starts questioning Alexa. She was like, do you think you're perfect because you're a rangerette? How are you so calm? Is that because you're rangerette training? Do you have a boyfriend who's your best friend? Is Brianna Duffield your best friend? And 
Alexa's just like, I don't know. What are you asking oh me all God, of this for? So like, who weird. are you? Like, she doesn't even know who this woman is. So eventually, Nancy drove Alexa to a storage unit. She opened the door to the space. She pushed Alexa inside. And Alexa remembers Nancy saying, as she wrapped duct tape around Alexa's lower legs, she said, you haven't done anything wrong, but you've seen my face and I'm not going to jail. And then she ordered Alexa to lie down on the ground. Oh, my God. Alexa lay down and then Nancy kneeled on Alexa's chest and started (gasps) choking her. Oh, my God. Alexa heard something crack in her neck. And that is when Nancy said, this is for my daughter, Kylie Motes. And after that, Alexa passed out. Oh, my God. She doesn't know how long she was unconscious. But when she came to, she was like, I need to play dead because she could tell that Nancy was still there. But Nancy saw Alexa's chest moving and she seemed surprised and said, oh, are you still breathing? And then thankfully, she didn't do anything else. Instead, she just left. She like put tape over Alexa's mouth and then left, went home, and had dinner with her husband. Like nothing had happened. Oh, my God. So Alexa's there in the storage unit alone. And when Alexa heard Nancy's car pull away, she used the strength from all of these really rigorous rangerette workouts to rip the heavy tape from her legs And while Nancy was driving home, Alexa escaped. So she's out of the storage unit. She spotted this eight-foot-tall wooden fence. She sprinted to it. She scaled the fence. And then there was a second one. She scaled that too. And then on the other side, she found herself, she was like in this residential neighborhood. So she looks through the window of this house. She sees a mother with a baby. And so she's like, I think it's safe to knock on the door and ask for help. And the woman, thankfully, recognized Alexa And she said, at first, I didn't know what my husband and I didn't know whether to believe her. But when I saw her face, I recognized her as Dana Blair's daughter. She was wearing a white shirt that had the word Rhett, which is what they call the Rangerettes. Um, And so I realized who she would and that she wouldn't be lying about being kidnapped. So Alexa used their phone to call 911. Um, A medic transported her to the police station where she was reunited with her parents. And then she gave a statement to an investigator. Meanwhile, the officers went to Nancy Moat's home, and when the officer asked Nancy where she had been, she was like, I don't know. I, I, was, I was shopping, and she was like, I don't know the Blairs. I don't know anything about this. She said she had no idea why anybody would call 911. Um, even when police took her into custody, she still said she was innocent. She said, I've never worn a wig. She was like, why would I kidnap someone I didn't even know? It makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. I don't even know why they would say that. So the next morning... Then while Nancy was still being interrogated, Alexa and Dana were getting packed and driving to Arlington, Texas, so that Alexa could perform in the Cotton Bowl. Dana told her, you don't have to do this. You don't have anything to prove. And Alexa was like, I'm performing. I made the line. I made tryouts. I'm kicking. I'm dancing at my freshman Cotton Bowl. I'm doing it. And so even though she had bloodshot eyes and like bruises on her neck- Even though she had been kidnapped at gunpoint the night before, two days later, she's performing in the Cotton Bowl. So Nancy Motes maintained her innocence for the next two years. (gasps) She was out on bail, living a normal life. She claimed not to know anything about it right up until her criminal trial was just about to start in April of 2019. And so then at the last minute, because of this overwhelming evidence, She ended up pleading guilty to two counts of aggravated kidnapping and was sentenced to five years in state prison. And then after the criminal trial, when Nancy was in in prison, um, the Blairs sued her asking for $700,000 in damage. And then the civil trial began June of 2021. And this was like the first time Dana and Alexa were actually able to tell their story in public because you know, she pled guilty. So they never got to face her. And most people, everybody in town was like, why did this even happen? This is, you know, they were just like, what, what, what possessed this woman? And actually Nancy had been evaluated and she was found to be sane. But in a video deposition, she said, oh, I hadn't been, I wasn't angry or upset with Dana or Alexa Blair. 
Um, but she said the event was a strong response to people bullying my daughter. It started when my daughter was cut from the Kilgore drill team in 2015 after be- having been a member for the three preceding years and the judges were all previous rangerettes. So crazily during the criminal trial or the, during the civil trial, Nancy also denied parts of the crime she'd already pled guilty to. So like when the Blair's lawyer showed a photo of like Alexa's like burst blood vessels in her eyes and the bruises on her neck. She was like, I can't imagine how those got there. I didn't do anything to her. And then she also denied that she ever had a a gun during the kidnapping, just things she had already admitted to. Mm -hmm. Um, And Alexa was just like, that was for her. That was like the most, one of the most upsetting things was that she was like, it just blows my mind to hear her say it over and over again, that, she's denying these things. You know, she's like, I just want to see if she can say that to my face. Um, Chris Blair, Alexa's father testified during the, um, during the civil trial. And he was just like, I'm still trying, he turned to face Nancy and he was like, I'm still trying to grasp the fact that you put my daughter in a storage unit, bound her ankles and mouth with tape and applied enough pressure during that until she passed out. You left her there for dead and just walked out and went home to have dinner with your husband as if it was another routine day. Just think about that. You have a daughter the same age. How could you do that to our daughter? And then he also said, you're extremely lucky. I always carry a gun. And if I had pulled up to my house and seen you taking my daughter out of my home, I would have used it. You should feel very fortunate you were even here today. Yeah. Yeah. So at the end of the civil trial, the judge, of course, ruled in favor of the Blairs and awarded them $575,000 in damages. Dana and Alexa said that they felt satisfied with that ruling, but they also said that they are left feeling very unsettled because Nancy was granted parole in November of 2021 after only serving two and a half years. (gasps) And yeah, and she was released back into their town where, and she's required to be there until the end of her sentence, her like her sentence in April, 2024, Um, And so Alexa had said, you know, she got out of jail. So it's not like it's not over. She's out in the world. I don't know if it's over or not. Oh, that poor girl. I know. So that's my story. So still crazy. Yes. (laughs) Isn't that that, um, like just mind blowing? It's so, you know, I mean, I, I understand why it's like I had to read it several times to like understand why this has happened because there's really actually no reason. There's so little, there's so little, um, yeah, there's so little connection. It's just all about this woman who is like so overly involved in her daughter's life that she just got obsessed. It's wild. Like, did you ever see the um, movie? It was based on a true story, but it was called like the Texas cheerleader. Yes. Mom, this is very, yeah. Or something. That's yeah. what it would totally remind me of with like Holly Hunter played the mom. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like sometimes there are parents like, yeah, yeah it's, it's crazy. crazy. Like how involved some parents get. Someone in the article, I thought this was funny. I never heard this before, but they described um, these parents as they're like, they're worse than helicopter parents. They're lawnmower parents. If somebody gets in their kid's way, they'll run them over. I've seen it. Oh, that is. Yeah. Like I grew up (laughs) dancing and there was definitely dance moms. Like dance moms is a real, real thing. I mean, luckily my mom would just drop me off and be like, where what do you where are you? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> what are you doing? I mean, so, it's okay. one of the reasons I'm why kidding. We... I love you, mom. I know you yeah. listen to the podcast, but let's be ready to get two shits about my dance. Oh yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's one of the reasons why I don't want to move into like any of the school districts around us. Because a lot of them are more intense as far as like sports and those kind of things where I feel like I feel like the area we're in and the school district is a little bit more like it's, it's not known for its amazing sports or it's an amazing, whatever, like they're great schools and the kids are going to get amazing educations, but it's not like so much pressure. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know if you find that to be true or not, but yeah, the pressure in our schools are just like to be as um, inclusive and chill as possible. Yeah. Right. Be the nicest you can be. Be the nicest you can be. The competition is who has the warmest heart. Is your heart warm? Then get out of our school. 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, that was great. Are you ready for a love story? Yes, I am. Okay. I actually have two smaller love stories. Ooh, double. Because, double your pleasure. You know, double your fun. Double your pleasure. Double your fun. Um, so one is um, – one has ups and downs, and then one is just good old-fashioned fun love. How about that? Okay. How about that, Sally? I love it. Okay. Everything. So- You're giving me everything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this story has everything. It's got it all. Um, so the first story came from an article for people.com uh, written by Corin Cesarek. Ten years ago on July 20th, 2012, um, I'm sure you guys all remember. I cannot believe it's been 10 years. I can't believe it's been 10 years. And I can't believe we're still dealing with this 10 years later. Um, but a gunman walked into the Aurora, Colorado movie theater and killed 12 mm. people and injured 70 people during a midnight showing of The Dark Knight Rises. Do you, yeah. I'm sure you remember. Of course, yeah. Um, so a woman that was in the theater who was then known as La Samoa Cross, um, who's now she goes by La Samoa Lanier, um, she was attending the movie with her fiance at the time, A.J. Bowick. And unfortunately, he was one of the fatal victims of the shooting at just 18 years old. He lost Ugh. his life. John. I know. What I are you told, doing? I told you. I told you. Down. And so during the three-year trial that happened after the shooting, uh, La Samoa, you know, who appreciated all of the, the officers who responded to the scene and testified, she noticed during the trial, she was like, oh, they went through the same horrific experience that I did and yeah. the similar trauma. So she decided to write letters to several of the Aurora police officers to thank them for um, the the work that they did and, and their help. And so one of oh, the that's people lovely. that- isn't that sweet? And one of the officers that she wrote to was um, an officer named Cody Lanier. They decided one day to meet, uh, Lassimo and Cody decided to meet one day at a Chipotle. Lassimo had sent Cody a friend request on social media to offer her condolences, um, you know, for what they, you know, what he had gone through during the trial. And then she told him that she had a letter and a gift for him. Then that's when they met at Chipotle And they realized that they had gone through uh, very similar experiences, not only through the tragedy at the Aurora movie theater, but he had actually lost a friend in a car accident at his home in his hometown in Montana when she was 18, just like AJ was. And so he understood the loss that she had early in her life. And she said that she felt like he understood her more than more and differently than anybody else could. Yeah. Um, so what was supposed to be a one hour lunch at Chipotle turned into a four hour lunch um, of them talking and they quickly connected. And then soon after that, they started dating and um, Cody told uh, nine news that uh, La Samoa, he said, kind of filled this gap. Beyond that, it was just this connection. He said, every day since she turned into my best friend and then the two ended up getting married in October of 2021. Wow. And on their wedding page, um, they, uh, La Samoa wrote, um, some tragic beginnings have very beautiful outcomes. And Cody told um, Nine News Station, he said, beauty from ashes, man. I don't know what I would do without her. And on the couple's wedding page as well, Asamoa wrote, the story started out so dark and tragic, but since that day at Chipotle, every day since has been the writing of utmost beautiful and most unconventional love story ever told. Oh, that's really beautiful. I it love that. So, Chipotle yeah. should sponsor them. They really should. What was the um, what was the Burger King sponsored the Burger King wedding? Right. How, yeah, this so like way, step it up, way more worthy. Yeah, <laughs> step it up. You got the whole like you know taco bar. You're perfect <laughs> for catering. I've definitely used Chipotle for catering before. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Everybody loves it. Yeah. Um, and now for the fun, the fun, fun one. This comes from an article for Vancouver Island, uh, written by Adam Sawatsky. Okay. Um, and this is about an Edmonton couple's love of Legos. All right. That led to. <laughs> oh, happy town. I, hear, yeah. I feel you coming. 
their Lego love story that led to jobs at a toy com- at a toy company's headquarters. So um, apparently when Chris Perrin and Laura Perrin went on their first date, they were both really super nervous. Chris said there was that constant fear. What if there's awkward silence? So Laura had spoken with Chris before. They were both students at University of Alberta, but being on a date, she said, was something different. She said that there was butterflies involved. But so Chris, because they were so nervous, he suggested that they spend the date um, building a Lego set. And he said, so, you know, when there was silence, they would just look for the next brick. It gave them something to do, you know, yeah. like places to put their hands in their eyes when, you yeah. know, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. It's an activity. And so they were both industrial design students. Um, so they were very good at Legos and they both <laughs> really appreciate it. So yeah. um, it, they totally hit it off. And that was a great idea for their first date. So um, Laura said that was the beginning of many Lego dates. After one date when they were, many dates later, when they were um, assembling Cinderella's carriage, Chris had placed um, a surprise inside a resealed Lego box when Laura opened opened it along with all the pieces of the Legos, a smaller box fell out. Um, and she thought that they had gotten like a bonus Christmas gift inside their Lego set. Yeah. Um, but then that's when she realized that inside the smaller box was an engagement ring. And he got down on one knee and asked um, her to marry him. And she said, yes, she was absolutely thrilled. She said to spend the rest of her life with this person. Shortly yeah. there um, after, um, Chris was actually offered a job at a Lego headquarters in Denmark. Uh, and he was like, what a was dream. Like, pin- that's what he said. He said it was like a pinch me. I'm dreaming scenario. So <laughs> they got married in Edmonton before they moved to Denmark. And at their wedding, their centerpieces were bowls filled with Lego bricks so that all of their guests could build Legos together. Oh, so fun. <laughs> um, and so they encouraged their uh, guests to get to know each other by playing Legos and the collection. Collectively, they all built this huge spaceship, which they called, you'll you'll love this because you love a dad joke, Sally. They called (laughs) it the relationship. Oh, Mm -hmm. I love it. Shortly thereafter, Laura also got a job at Lego, too. She now designs uh, Dots craft sets. um, And Chris works on the superhero movie sets. And they've both collaborated together to make the TV set from The Office, the Lego version of that. Um, Chris That's said it doesn't so feel cool. I know. And Chris said it doesn't feel like work. We just enjoy each other's company. Um, and Laura said so much of our lives are just being silly and goofy together. So they just live their life building Legos, being I mean, goofy, happily I ever love after. That. I love it too. We did it. You yin and yanged it. I did. But all love. All love. All right. Well, let's do something dumb and something we love. Okay. Okay, well, I'm not allowed to do anything dumb this yeah. week because all I've been doing is vacationing and <laughs> I don't want to get hit in the face. So that's – everything's great. Um, so the things I love other than my amazing trip, but the things that I love are my friend um, Stephen West, who is like one of my very dearest friends. Um, he is Pilgrim from my book. Oh, yeah. Ben and I met him through hiking the Appalachian Trail. He was a person who married us. We lived in West Virginia with him and his wife, Carlene, who I love so much. And so there are, they're, as a couple, as a family, they're like some of our very best friends. And he just um, published a book. He just wrote a book and it just came out a few weeks ago. It is amazing. It is a memoir. Um, it is called Soft Boiled and it's so good. I highly recommend it. Everybody go get Steve's book. That's He's so, so incredibly talented. He's like such an amazing writer. He's such an amazing person. And I'm just so excited for the world to discover him. Um, so go get that. Soft Boiled by Stephen West. Awesome. Um, and then also I love um, my friend Kimmy, who I was just at her lake house. Um, I just – She's so amazing. I loved her house was like so perfect. She had lived in New York when we lived there. And then she, during the pandemic, moved out of the city, like sold her place in Manhattan and moved out to this lake in New Jersey. And it is just like, she has completely redone this beautiful lake house and made such like a cozy, wonderful home. And she was like so nice to let eight women take it over for the weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so I love that too. I love Kimmy and uh, and her lake house and everything she does. And I love Steve and his new book. So that's what I love. That's awesome. I love that too. And vacations. I love vacations so much. <laughs> You're so good at them. I'm so good at them. <laughs> um, so for my something dumb and something I love, uh, real quick, something dumb, I'll just say uh, COVID family and uh, dead possum. My hands inside a dead possum. <laughs> oh, my God. Both hands. <laughs> Both hands. In yeah. it. Um, I'll say that's dumb. Um, something I love, I can finally announce. You guys, we're back in fest- Red Clay Comedy Festival season. Woohoo! We're gearing up. It will be November 10th through the 13th, um, the Red Clay Comedy Festival in East Atlanta. And I can finally announce our headliners, which I am so excited about. Our headliners this year will be Ashley Hesseltine, uh, which you guys probably know from the Girls Gotta Eat podcast. She's absolutely amazing. Sashir Zameda from SNL, Joel Kim Booster from Fire Island and Loot on Hulu and all the... Like, oh my God, I'm so excited for Joel Kim Booster. Um, it's amazing. You've, you've seen him everywhere. He's blowing up. Uh, we have mm-hmm. Sean Patton is coming back. Love me some Sean Patton. So funny. I, um, he makes me laugh so hard. He's so funny. Um, and we have um, the Are You Garbage podcast with Kevin Ryan and H. Foley. They are coming, plus 40 comics from around the world who have yet to be announced. Um, and it's going to be the best time ever. And I'm very excited. It's so, that sounds like so much fun. Um, I'm, your it's so tickets. exciting. Yeah, get your tickets. This, those are gonna sell out. Those are that is an amazing lineup, Jen. You guys killed it this year. Thanks. You do every year, but very amazing. excited. Very excited. Um, well, that's an episode. We did it. Oh, yeah, we did it. We did it. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what's next? Still what do we do next? <laughs> <laughs> Ben brought me some gelato, so um, I got distracted. You know, could you just stop talking to me? Like, between your vacations, (laughs) uh, my husband just brought me some gelato. Thank you. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm very happy for you. I love you so much. (laughs) I'm kidding. Do you? Um, I do. You know I I do. I I love you more than anything. I know, I know. Uh, okay, you guys, we love you guys. Please get in touch. You can find us on all the socials. We're at Dumb Love Podcast. Uh, you can find us on, no, wait. Uh, you can email us at dumblovepod at gmail.com. You could rate and review us. That would be so nice. Or you can tell a friend uh, how much you love Dumb Love. That would be amazing. That would. And don't forget to get out there and do something dumb for love. Dum da dum 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 da dum dum